Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Hey guys, before we get to the podcast, just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast. That'll make sure that if somebody looks up Exodus or Ruth, uh, that they will be able to pull up our podcast and, and see what we have to say on different sections of the Bible. Also, if you have any questions or comments or things that you want to share with us, uh, you can email us now. We now have an email address of growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. That's growingdeeperpodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you, even just uh, saying, hey, we're listening and really appreciate it or something like that. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Now on to the podcast. Well, we're finally here. We're finally at the Ten Commandments <laughs> that we've all yeah. all been waiting for eagerly this entire time. Uh, but really, it's like going into this chapter, I was kind of thinking, eh, this might be kind of boring just because it's like so commonly... Well discussed yeah. or yeah air quotes well known yeah. You know? yeah yeah and you know it's something that's like in our courtrooms and i don't know i just i was kind of like not too like eager to read it for some reason but when we did read it together i really enjoyed our discussion so hopefully that will make for a fun podcast yeah but i was thinking what better way to start the podcast about the Ten Commandments than to have a game of two truths and a lie because it just seems like it kind of somehow fits right now, mm-hmm. you know, or you might would think <laughs> it would fit. Right, because, you know, the Ten Commandments say don't lie. Right. 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 It says, it says very clearly <laughs> in one of the Ten Commandments to don't lie. <laughs> right. 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 Okay, so right. two truths and a lie, it seems to make sense. Uh. Seems to. Do for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, this is a very difficult game for Garrett and I to play because we've known each other for so well, long. Well, when you we've been married for almost nine years. Yeah. And then how long did we date before that? So almost been, six years. Yeah. Okay. So um, so half of we've been together for half of our life. Yeah. Yeah. A little over now. Yeah. Yeah, we've known each other for half of our lives. So to come up with two, like, to come up with a a lie that you wouldn't pick up on is pretty tough. So I am afraid that you're going to get mine pretty easily, but that's okay. This might be a fun game for the listener to just, you know, play along in their head and make a guess. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I will go first. Okay. All right. Here we go. I played on a softball team called the Rainbows. I have never been ice skating. I used to love country music. Oh, and by the way, we didn't really explain the rules, but it should be pretty self-explanatory. I'm trying to pick the lie. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling two things that are true about my past in, in one lie. Yeah, so the first one so the first one was softball team rainbows. Mm-hmm. That's a true statement. Okay. Uh, the second one, you've never been ice skating. I'm trying to think if... Me and you have ever been ice skating together, and I don't think we have. 
I'm not I mean, I guess that would be an embarrassing thing if we had not been ice skating together and you asked me that and I said, oh, we haven't been ice skating together. <laughs> or, or no, if we had been and I just like don't remember it at all. I mean, the only place I can think of that it might would have happened was if we went, if we had gone downtown, but I don't remember us actually doing that for some reason. So, and then the last one was what? I used to love country music. You used to love country music. I do think you used to love country music. Um, so I'm going to say ice skating. But you've never been ice skating. You're correct. I have been ice skating. Yeah. Uh, that is the lie. Yeah. Uh, the lie is I actually have been ice skating. Oh, oh, I accidentally backed into that one. That's what you're telling me. You have been ice skating. I have been ice skating. That's the lie. Yeah. I said okay. on here I've never been ice skating, but I really okay. have. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, I is backed I, into that one. Okay. I haven't been ice skating with you. It was like a, I want. It might have been a field trip. We went up to like an indoor, ice skating rink. And okay. I ice skated there, but I knew I had never ice skated with you, so I I knew you wouldn't know for sure one way or another. Okay. But yeah. Okay, That's so I kind of backed into that one a little bit, but I well I did pick the other two as truths. Like, I knew those were true, yeah, yeah. but the middle one, it was like I it flipped in my mind for some reason. I was hoping the country music might, but that was, I liked country music a lot when we, probably around the time we first started I used to dating, like country music, too. And I yeah. really, like, I always had my radio in my car on a country station, and I don't know how much of that you remember or knew of me then, because yeah. that felt like a phase. <clears throat> But I'm not a huge country. Once music I fan once though. I was introduced to alternative rock, it was done. It my was country, <laughs> my my country music <laughs> love was gone. I I used to like country music too, and I yeah. I just don't anymore. Sorry, but, con- country music. Yeah. lovers. Okay, so here's mine. All right, so uh, number one, I have not read all of the J.R.R. Tolkien published works. Number two. I was part of the WHMS news anchor team in middle school. And then the third one is I was involuntarily nicknamed Cookie Dough in middle school. So, um, <laughs> Cookie Dough. <laughs> okay. So you can so, see, I'll, I'll okay, just show them to I'll, you. I'll show look at this. List. So yeah. I know the WHMS news thing, anchor team. The more I say it, the more I'm unsure. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure you were on that in middle school. I think I remember talking to you about that. And I feel like you recently told me about the cookie dough thing. I, To me, I can see you totally reading all of I thought of one there. of these was an easy one. So so I, I'm, I'm surprised you don't know one of them. For sure. Well, the but middle go one. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep working it out. Well, I mean, okay, so unless you're trying to trick me with it wasn't called like (laughs) WHMS News and it was actually, you know, whatever, some other letters. um, I'm pretty sure you did that. You might have, oh, news anchor team. Maybe you were like a cameraman and not that. Because I can see you making these really like, well. Intricate? (laughs) Yeah, like. Yeah, okay. Um. Obviously, because he even like involuntarily nicknamed. I could also see you voluntarily nicknaming yourself that. For what a weird to, thing to well, just to be no, just to be funny. Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go with. 
I have that the lie. Wait, hold on. So you're looking for the lie. I have not read all of J.R.R. Tolkien's published works. Hmm. I'm sure there's a lot. It seems like that would be hard to read all of those. You know, at some point you do have to answer this question. <laughs> I feel like they're all true. <laughs> okay, you've got no, 10 seconds. I'm going to go with the... Or it's going to be like Cookie Dough was in middle school. I mean, in elementary school, and you're saying middle school. For the love of Pete, <laughs> will you please pick one? Okay, I'm going to go with the first one, that you have not read all of J.R.R. Tolkien's okay. published works. You I, think that's a lie? Yeah. Okay. I have not read, that's, that's true, I have not read all of J.R.R. Tolkien's published works. I knew Cimmerillion, was going to be Stuff wrong. like that. I, okay, you know, my like, next guess is the Cookie Dough. <clears throat> the next one... <laughs> I was involuntarily named Cookie Dough uh, in what? middle school. You, I specifically remember you telling me, though, about this news anchor thing. No. Okay, so... You were so, on there. Okay, let me give you some backstories here. <laughs> Chill out. You spent 30 minutes just trying to answer this. So let me fill you in on my life. Okay. Since you don't know me at all. Our um, anniversaries this week. Things yeah. are going so, splendid. Um, in middle school... Um, a guy that uh, which I had I had known him since since elementary school. Uh, he and another one of my uh, my best friend uh, came over and um, during the day, which you know my my mom worked and stuff, so I just was at the house by myself. And uh, my mom would buy these huge buckets, like huge thing tubs of cookie dough. And what ended up happening was I would just sit there and eat the cookie dough. And, and like, I mean, I'm, I'm a, we're not talking tiny tubs. Like, we're talking, like, you know, a gallon-sized tub of cookie dough that I would just sit and eat throughout the oh day. Oh, my goodness. And they came over, and I was like, hey, y'all want to y'all wanna eat some cookie dough? Whatever. And, uh, what, and, I, and, and one of the guys was like, dude, do you realize how many calories you're eating? And I was like, I looked at the side, and I was like, it's only 90 calories. <laughs> In the whole like tub. One cookie. It's like it's fine. It's ninety calories, and so that that kid, uh, he dubbed me Cookie Dough uh, for that moment. And I was also um, because I ate a lot of cookie dough. I was overweight uh, in sixth and seventh grade, and so then he dubbed me Cookie Dough, and I was known as Cookie Dough in middle school. It was Yikes. really a horrible experience. Okay, so what about this new <clears throat> thing? So I was I, I was a cameraman. See? So, yeah, so I was a cameraman so, on the WHMS news crew. I knew you were a part uh, of in it. Middle school. And that's how you got me. But so, so uh, there was one time, one time uh they were like, "Garrett, you can do it. You know, you can uh you can read just read the card." They gave me one card to read. <laughs> and I I I sat down to read it and I just froze. You know, and I was just like, "I don't I can't do this." And so I just freaked out. I was like, "I couldn't I couldn't read from a card." In front of a camera that I knew the whole school was looking at, you know, like they were looking at me live, <laughs> and uh, and I I I froze. I never did it again, and uh, but I but I was the cameraman, you know. The, See, and that was so, a trick, tricky one. Yeah, because I was like, I think they're all true. But it was I was always terrified of public speaking, and um, until I got into college and had to do a lot more public speaking, it 
you know, started to become more, more natural to me, I suppose. But yeah, I remember in college being just horrified of the idea of doing a presentation in front of anybody. And, Look at uh, you now. Yeah, you know, now I'm willing to, I don't really care. <laughs> what anybody thinks anymore <laughs> really great really yeah. really great yeah yeah so that was kind of fun i mean too bad i got that completely wrong you in don't the know sense anything of, about me yeah well and i've told i know i've told you the the cookie dough story before. well that's why I, I did think they were all true um but yeah you got me with the news anchor versus cameraman yeah that was yeah, a little subtlety a little sneaky sneak yeah. but that's how you play the game well, I'm not very good at the game. Yeah. I'm not as good of a liar as you. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> That's true. You're not. You actually really suck at lying. So. Yep. What was that? You got me a present one year that was, what was it? I I walked up to it. You had got me a Christmas present and I happened to walk up to it at a store. We were at Academy. It was a hammock, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can't remember what it was, but I walked up to it and I was like, oh, you know, this would be good. And your face went just like, um, you know, uh, just stark white, like queso cheese white. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> just a tiny shade difference from my normal pale complexion. Like, you were freaking out inside about that I was thinking about buying this thing and then that you got I me think, for Christmas. I think eventually I And even, I knew the moment I looked at you, I was like, she got me this for Christmas. I think I eventually even said, why do you always have to ruin everything? <laughs> yeah, you did tell me that. I ruined, that I ruined Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, because I was looking I to get a hammock, you know, I guess in December. So. Makes, checks out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyways, there we go. I hope that was fun slash entertaining and maybe you learned something about us yeah um like garrett's a good liar and i'm not (laughs) so um all right well let's uh let's jump into our recap and yeah so as we're getting into exodus 20 this this may be uh i mean outside of the story itself of delivery from from egypt this is probably the most popular chapter in in Exodus, that everybody knows almost like you know kind of what it says, I guess, um, and we all kind of have like these preconceived ideas of what's going on with it, and we we come to it loaded with a lot of stuff. So let's try to empty that baggage and see what it says on its own accord, um, and 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 do that. But as we remember, as we look back to nineteen again, this is a establishment of this of this covenant. It's a, it's this marriage relationship. It's, it's 19 is a marriage ceremony, uh, where, you know, they, Moses goes up and he intercedes on, on behalf of, uh, Yahweh to the people and the people to Yahweh. And he tells them, Hey, you know, Yahweh wants to enter into covenant with you. And, you know, if you, if you just, li- if you listen to his voice, you know, and whatnot, and they, and they respond in 19 of everything that Yahweh has said, we will do. And this is kind of like this I do moment, like they're entering into this covenant relationship with Yahweh. And it's, and it's based, um, part, I, I guess part of it, like entering into the covenant, it's, it didn't, it's not saying you do what I say and then I'll bless you. They've already been, they've already been, been redeemed. They're not, it's, this isn't salvation based you know, uh, coming into the covenant, they're already, they've already like received their redemption. Uh, and now they're coming out and they're meeting this God. And because of all the things that he's done for them, um, they, they 
seem to want to enter a relationship. That, that's kind of I think that's kind of how God works in that He wants us to respond to His grace uh, with a return of love. Um, it, it demands a response of some kind, and so based off of what He has done, which is that He bore them out on eagle, eagle's wings uh, and brought them to Him, um, that. You know, he's saying, "I'm going to make you a treasured possession." And and one thing I and I, and whenever I was talking about like New Testament, uh, Mount Rushmore stuff, I I can't believe I I totally left out Peter, in that. So he tells Israel that he's going to make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And Peter, looking at, um, his you know the, the followers of Jesus that are, um, that he's writing to in his letter, he tells them that they are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And they're the continuation of this, you know, Israel covenant relationship. Um, and they're kind of, they're picking that up and they're carrying that mantle. And so that has to be in his mind. But this story is, you know, it's like the only two places that it occurs. And uh, But anyways, so he tells Israel, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You're going to be my representatives to the world. Uh, you're going to be my representative to the nation, to the nations, um, to show them who I am, and uh, and they've established this this covenant relationship. And you've seen, and what we talked about last time was Holy Fire Mountain God. You know, He descends down on the mountain, and uh, and it's just like this huge, powerful experience, and um, and they're just, you know, absolutely, you know, terrified of what's happening. Um, and you know it's like if they get too close to God, then he's afraid that you know like they're gonna they're gonna die, you know like so he tells them, make sure you don't come up too far, uh don't come into the cloud because I don't want you I don't want you to fall uh that is to die uh, I don't want you to die um because you come too close to the the holy presence of Yahweh, but Moses goes in and intercedes for them uh in the cloud, and so that's kind of the scene that's going on that's still going on in this in this story. Um, in the things that are about to happen, Moses is going to, you know, start interceding for them. And, uh, we're going to start getting, getting what we know as the, the commandments. Um, so we're going to, we're going to pick up here and it says that Moses went down to the people and he told them, Hey, don't, don't come up here lest Yahweh break out and you end up dying. And so that, that's the context of where we are. He's come back down the mountain, uh, before them. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse Verse 1 of chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your mother and your honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so this is, again, this is probably really well known. We call it the Ten Commandments. But here's one thing I want to note. Uh, nowhere in here did you hear it called the Ten Commandments. Uh, that's just not something that the Bible calls it. The Bible does not call this the Ten Commandments. What it does call it uh, is later it will be called the Ten Words. Um, or like uh, scholars would call it the Decalogue. But it, it's not ever called the Ten Commandments anywhere. But it's very, uh, it, it is called the Ten Words, which sort of, um, I, I think it, it somewhat emulates um, and every, you know, lots of scholars tie these two things together. It emulates the ten speaking moments of God and his creation of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, God spe- speaks in a series of ten words, ten speeches that he gives to form the world over seven days. Um, and so it's like this new recreation event uh, that he's, he's doing with Israel. It's this new creation uh, that, that Israel is becoming. Um, and so he... he there's the ten words, as as the scriptures would call, call it. the The question is, is how do you you number it? There's actually a lot of different. Uh, well, I say a lot. There's there's a few different ways of counting it. Um, Jewish tradition has one way, and Christian tradition has another way, and then uh, there's some uh, you know alternatives as well. But we'll go we'll go through that. But before you get to quote, I guess the commands of like do this, don't do that. Uh, it it is all predicated on this little preamble, I suppose, um, the that is I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt from the house of slaves. Um, everything is leaning on that, and what becomes a shame to me is that like whenever you take it out of its context in the story, then it's like oh these are these are things that everybody should follow, right? Like oh these are all agreed on. That that God has said that every human should follow, and that's just not the case. That's this is a covenant relationship that He's making with Israel, and it's predicated on the fact that He has redeemed them. Now go do this. You know, now whenever you're in relationship with me, this is what I'm. This is what I'm calling you to. Um, and it it's a when we when we rip it out of its context, uh, and we just make it about thou shalt nots. Um, then it feels very structured, or I guess it is still structured, but it's like it feels very um, just like, if, oh, if I don't do these things, God will spite me or whatever, or like I don't want to break one of the commands kind of thing. I don't know. Well, how, how is your, what's your feeling on what it, I guess it usually is? The Ten Commandments as a whole? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think of it, I guess, in the, American sense of yeah. being in our courtrooms and stuff and like yeah. here's the rules that everybody's supposed to follow Yeah. and what's interesting is that we'll see it's like some of these are very hard to like legislate mm-hmm. um, and so it's just kind of a I don't know I when I think of the Ten Commandments I think of them listed on a board on a plaque on, on a wall somewhere yeah 
like before reading this. Yeah, this is this is what Carmen Joy Imes writes uh, in her book, um, uh, Bearing God's Name. It says, to understand the Ten Commandments, we must read them in context. We've already considered the larger context, noting that they don't receive the law until after their deliverance from Egypt. Now we'll consider the immediate context, which is that the first statement is is not thou shalt not, but rather I am. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of your slavery. Remember me? I'm the one who rescued you from your people after 400 years of oppression. This declaration sets the agenda for everything that follows. If we post these commands in public but leave off verse 2, we could easily give the impression that these commands are a burden or form of bondage for those unlucky Israelites. But no, these commands are given to them by a God who rescued them from slavery, a God who has entered into a committed relationship with them, a God who reveals his personal name. Whatever follows must be a dimension of the freedom made possible by those ten boundaries within which their lives can flourish. The God who saved them is giving them a gift. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I guess it's just... We we need to start looking at these not as like these, you know, these boundaries that God's putting up, you know, to be like, well, you can't have any fun, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's just not what it is. Like some boundaries are good for freedom to say like, hey, you can operate in this area, you know, don't like getting outside of this area is going to be harmful for you. Um, it, it's kind of like um, it. it's just like with kids, you know, like it, you have young children um, you know, there's certain things that you want them to be, you know, be able to have access to. There's certain things you definitely don't want them to, to access. But, um, part of like blocking off cupboards or blocking off, uh, specific rooms, yeah. uh, making sure they can't reach knives, that type of thing. Those are good boundaries to have, but it doesn't mean like it's part of like establishing the right boundary that they should have so they can have that enjoyment within that circle. Yeah. Um, it's not that... You know, we've got a playroom, you know, with a bunch of toys in it and stuff. And then right next to it is the kitchen and we've got knives and stuff in there. It's like, okay, I want them to be in the playroom, but whenever they're in the playroom, I don't care how they play. I don't care what they play with. I'm not going to say, hey, Caleb, you need to play with Iron Man today. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to play with Spider-Man today. And, you know, but it like within the boundaries that I'm setting, I want him to have that freedom to, to, for his imagination, for his, his growth and type of things. And so, um, you know, these boundaries are good things. They're gifts. Uh, and so like looking at them as gifts, I think is a really big shift in how we look at the commands. Yeah. And I think, I think too, something that helped me was when reading with this with fresh eyes and with having the context of chapters one through 19, I can really sense the heaviness of verse two of mm-hmm. the fact that they were in slavery, that, that he's, Hey, remember I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of slavery. And like, I'm, I think when I've read that maybe before, I didn't really understand what that meant. Or I, I might've had a different view of maybe what slavery would have looked like for them or just kind of, I don't know, just kind of like, yeah, okay, reading that. But like what a big deal that was for the Israelites to finally be free Mm -hmm. from the Egyptians. And thinking about, you know, early on, uh, it might have been chapter like 
three or four or something when Moses, you know, he sees the Egyptians beating the Israelites. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the abusive situations that the Israelites were under when they were slaves in Egypt. Um, And so when I really try to understand the depths of their slavery and the kind of situations that they had been in and how they were probably verbally and physically abused. Um, it makes the, it, it just adds meaning to the rest of the, mm-hmm. the chapter. Yeah. And so to have it devoid of that, which is usually what we consider it with, like mm-hmm. we don't, we just, we leave off verse two. Yeah. And, and we, it's whenever it's devoid of, a God who delivered Israel from 400 years of slavery, it loses its taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it just becomes something like, oh, it, like he's just a God of stipulations. Yeah. You know, no, no, he's a God of redemption and mm-hmm. he's a God of deliverance and promise keeping. Yeah. And, and so if we don't have that God in context, then it's like, why follow just a God that's just going to just give me rules, yeah. you know, and that's just not what it is. And so. Yeah. So kind of going through these one at a time, yeah. I think that made a lot of sense um, for our discussion the other day. But like, so you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, that's like, it feels so simple. And in the in what we have just talked about, it's kind of like, wouldn't that be kind of like, okay, duh. Like with right. everything that they've been through with God up to this point, it seems like that would, at this point in time, be something that would be pretty easy to follow. You would think so, yeah. Um, he's just reminded you, just the verse before that has reminded you essentially of everything he's done for you. And now he's saying, yeah, you know, so don't have any other gods before me. Right. I mean, it's, and I'd be it, like, okay. It's a marriage relationship. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're having, <laughs> you're at the altar and, you know, your, your bride is saying, hey, have no other women before me. And it's like, oh, okay, this seems intuitive to the That's situation. A, yeah. See, yeah. it feels reasonable. Yeah, it feels like this is what's supposed to be happening. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, good. But also note, I mean, and this is this is kind of a rabbit hole, um, and but just just note that this isn't um, this isn't full fledged monotheism right now. Um, to have no other gods before me means that they're like at least in their context of the way that they understand the world right now is that there are other gods that exist that could, you know, that could take his play, you know, like that they could replace him with, you know, and say that I'm going to worship this God instead. Um, it's biblical scholars call this monolatry of that, that there, there's other gods out there, but Yahweh is the only one worthy of worship. Um, and, and he's the creator of all things. That's not outside the scope of what's happening in this story, but to say that there's no other quote Elohim, uh, which is the word that's behind that, there's no other gods out there, would make this totally worthless, like a statement. Just be like, oh, okay, if they're, if they're, if in their view there are no other gods, then how could they ever have gods before him? Well, I mean, the fact is, is they're going to worship other gods in the story. They're going to mm-hmm. say, I'm going to worship Astra, I'm going to worship, you know, Baal, um, instead of Yahweh, I'm going to put them before him. Um, so it, it's, it's a, it's what's called monolatry of that there are other gods out there, you know, it's a, uh, a la carte, you know, God world. I mean, it, everything's, everything's just full of that. You know, everybody's got their own gods kind of thing. And, uh, but Yahweh's saying, have none other before me because I'm the only one that's worthy. 
I'm the only, I've I've proven myself worthy in this, and it's not a um, because of what I've done. You have to respond this way. He's just demonstrated to them that he's the only one that's worthy. He's I mean that's part of what this story has been to throw down the gods of Egypt, to say that they're not. Whenever it comes to me, they are. Uh, they don't have any power. You know, I I, ha- I hold all the power here. Um, has been a lot of what this story has been doing. So, um, anyways, so just want to introduce that thought of just that, that, hey, this is, that's kind of what's going on here and how that can even be a statement in the first place. But it says, have no other gods before me. Seems to make sense with, hey, I delivered you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm I'm your husband. You know, I'm I'm the one that's, uh, that you're coming into a relationship with. Yeah. So next we have, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth below, beneath or in the waters below. And we'll talk more about the rest of this kind of paragraph. But in general, it kind of feels <clears throat> the same as the one before. And this is what Garrett was talking about with like the different numberings. Yeah, so a lot of times... so similar. Yeah, yeah. In, in Christian uh, tradition... It's always been verse 3 is command 1 and verse 4 is command 2. Um, but in um, a lot of Jewish tradition, and there's a couple different ways, a lot of, some, some Jewish tradition consider verse 2 to actually be the first command. Um, and, uh, but a lot of times they'll combine 3 and 4 to say, um, there shall be, uh, for you no, no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself a divine image with any form that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water below the earth. You will not bow down to them and you will not serve them because I am Yahweh your God. Okay, so all of that is, is, this, is really the same thing. Although, mm-hmm. All of that is talking about the same thing. You can't, um, in, in this worldview, in the, in the world that they come from, in their context, you can't worship a God without an idol. And you don't make an idol unless it's representing a God. And and so all of these these things are interconnected. You don't just willy nilly make an idol. I mean, it's all about worshiping another god. Uh, worshiping gods is what idols are made for. Um, Which another way to think of that is like an image. Um, in a yeah. Way. Yes. Yeah. And that's what that is. It's, yeah. Don't make a divine. Uh, you shall not make for yourself a divine image with any form that isn't like the that's any form of anything that 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 represents something in this creation. Part of that is because it's like, I've created all of these things to worship. That thing is to elevate it above the creator itself. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, what, if you create, if you, if you form something in the likeness of something, you know, a deer or might be important to the story, a calf, for instance, um, that is a created thing that you're worshiping. And even, you know, so he's, he's saying, don't worship the created thing, worship the creator, uh, and, um, and don't make, don't make an image, uh, to do that, um, to worship that. And, and also I, I think a big thing too, is that God has already made an image of himself. Um, that's already happened in the story that happened in Genesis chapter one, that God created man, man in his own image. He created Adam, which is humanity. He created humanity in his own image. Um, and male and female, he created them, right? Um, so he's already created an image. Um, 
it's not up to us to to make more images of, of Yahweh. He said, I, you know, in the story, he's already created them in his likeness. Um, so anyways, I, all of that is, is really the same thing. Is like to not have an idol is to not worship a God before Yahweh. Um, and not bowing down to it, all of it is, is the same thing. Um, you know, not to wor- worship, you know, Worship no one but Yahweh. The second command is vitally important for us to understand. There may be a whole lot more uh, at stake with the command uh, not to take the Lord's name in vain, though. So we can we can um, get into that next. But and actually, I, I do think that there's some things that you want to um, talk about before we get to the next one, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is probably the section that I I don't want to say bothers me the most but just that I might have a difficult time reading mm-hmm. of I, you know every time I see a jealous god and then you yeah. see like punishing <laughs> those are kind of trigger words for a lot of people including myself of like oh negative connotations makes me feel uncomfortable to yeah. think about god that way yeah. don't want to think about god in that way when i think of the word jealous you almost think of like jealous ex-girlfriend, jealous ex-boyfriend, and that's kind of like a ew, nasty thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was something I really wanted, the jealousy part and also like punishing the children for the sin of the fathers. Those are two concepts that I think we need to dig into a little bit more. Yeah, so what are, what are your thoughts on jealousy? So jealousy, I think, especially since we've been talking about this as a marriage ceremony and Garrett and I have already talked through all this obviously and so I think the way that it makes the most sense to me is like um the marriage relationship of like yeah if you're if you're married to someone you expect them to not go out and seek other people mm-hmm. in, in the same way that they're supposed to seek you um and keeping kind of that um relationship holy and and just the way that it was designed to be and the commitment to each other and so yeah it's going to be a problem for god when you've entered this covenant relationship like we do have to remember they said we will do everything the lord has said like they've already they have made this commitment mm-hmm. and so um this is just part i mean we don't we don't think that that's unreasonable when it comes to marriage to say, okay, if we're going to commit to each other, that that means that I'm not going to go out and look for another man. Right. Um, that's like, we can all agree that that should not happen. Um, and so this that idea of jealousy is just like, no, I want you to be in relationship with me and me only. And that's how I feel towards Garrett. You know, like I want Garrett to be in relationship with me and me only. He does, you know, like yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, And so that's kind of the way I've best made sense of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a very husbandly jealousy. And I mean, it, it, and jealous, jealousy is is only a bad thing because of how we have used jealousy. <laughs> you know, how we, how we have used jealousy. And, um, and I, and I just think that with, with God, he's not going to put up with, um, with us, you know, selling ourselves out to other, to these other gods, whenever we've come into to relationship with him, whenever we, whenever we worship money or we worship, um, 
we, you know, if you worship sex or whatever, all these things, you know, like we do worship these things in our society, whether you like it or not, we do. And like we sell these things, our society sells these things like they're going to make you feel better after you've just like, oh, you know, if you can just have the right sexual partner, then, you know, everything, you know, like, oh, everything will work for you and divorce will never happen. It's It's false. And, you know, it's just, that's just not how it works. Like, as far as, you know, like find the right person that you, you sexually work with and then you can get married, you know, kind of thing. And like, that's what our society wants to tell us is the way to go. And it's just false. It's a false deity. And we worship sex and like, and we worship money. Like if you can, you know, make sure you get the, the right job and that you, uh, if you don't, then they're like, oh, you, you know, like then you're not going to make it and blah, blah, blah. Like everything, um our whole lives are, you know, we're, we're convinced and deceived by those things. And so like when we give ourselves over to those things, you know, God is, he's jealous for us and that he, it's like, no, I want you to, to find your sustenance in me. Don't go looking for those things that can't fulfill you. So it's a very husbandly thing. The same way that I would fight for you. If, you know, if I saw you going out and doing other things that you shouldn't be hanging out with people that you shouldn't be, um, it, that's a very good thing. It's a very, very good thing um, that, you know, for me, me to fight for you and for your well-being. And so. also, I think the other, the other thing that um, we looked at was jealousy, meaning also zeal. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, so that's just like, when I think of zeal. It's passionate. Passion. Yeah. 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 Um, and so when I think of God being passionate for me mm-hmm. and seeking me with, you know, I don't know, like just some kind of like extra strength, <laughs> like yeah. really, really seeking me out. Um, that's, I don't know. That's a cool thing too. That's actually, that becomes a cool thing instead of a, Ooh, jealous thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then this idea of punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Um that's a little little tricky. Sound it it if you just read it by itself, you're like you're punishing the children for the sin of their like their parents. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think that this is more of like generationally we tend to do what our parents have done. We tend to, you know, our parents have certain traditions that they did and we tend to follow those things. And so that's kind of, in my mind, what's happening here mm-hmm. is, you know, you had maybe a sinful gen- generation and that act, those acts of sin just continue to follow through the remaining generations. And still somebody says, I'm going to, you know, put a fork in this. We're done with this, you know, yeah. and, and, and turn away from that. But something that I think is really cool here is... It says to the third and fourth generations, and then in verse six, but showing love to a thousand generations. And so I think that there is purposefully this juxtaposition between three and four being such a small number and to thousands, and and that just being kind of this loyal love that God has for his people of like, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to continue showing my loyal love to those who you know, love me and are keeping my commandments. And so I, 
working really hard personally to focus more on verses like verse six and not getting caught up and hung up unnecessarily on verses like yeah what's in verse it, it's definitely uh, that's definitely a hang up for a lot of folks but uh, you know the scriptures are pretty explicit too I, I think i think it's in ezekiel that we talked about um that ezekiel's like no listen people pay for their own sins mm-hmm. uh you know the son uh you know a a righteous son is not paying, having to pay for the sins of his father. And, you know, like a wicked father, you know, has to deal with his own sins and whatever. Anyways, so that that's not what he's getting at here. What in, in the way that it will develop in the story um, is that as long for those that continue in the sins of their fathers, um, you know, th- this punishment's going to, to develop. That God's going to punish sin the way that he always does. Um, and you know, to the third and the fourth generation, as long as you continue in it, it's going to, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm I'm not going to let that go. Not going to just, I'm going to be a righteous judge. Um, and that's going to continue as long as you guys stay in your sin, that that's going to continue. But for those like, but the moment you turn around, it's all done. Like all that has been dealt with the moment that you repent, it's like he, he's done with it to the third and the fourth generation. So if, you know, if it's, the third generation that turns it stops there um and but then again that yeah like you said that's juxtaposed against the to the thousands of generations that he has hesed for the that's that loyal love that we've talked about a lot and that to thousands of generations think about like what is let's say okay let's say a generation's 20 years right so <clears throat> let's say there's been 100 generations Right? Is that, that's, that's 2,000 years? So 100 generations over 2,000 years, if there's one generation every 20 years, Mm -hmm. which usually generations are considered 40 years, but just for the sake of argument, that's 200 generations in 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. So to say 1,000 generations, what that is, is like, that's over the top, never going to happen, like, as far as, it'll go as far as it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what 1,000 generations would be. Mm -hmm. Um. And so when you consider it like that, you know, to the third and the fourth generation, we're talking about from, you know, from Abraham to Joseph. Yeah. And, and a thousand generations is something that we haven't even, re- we haven't even begun to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, not even 200, you know, generations in, you know, from the beginning of this story. So it's, uh, you know, those two things are very, very different. Um, and so it it is showing like how his, his compassion is so much greater than, you know, and and his justice is good. Um, but like, man, when it comes to his compassion, it's just over the top and unnecessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the next one is, uh, it's usually translated as like, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh, your God. Because Yahweh will not leave unpunished anyone who misuses his name. Or thou shalt not take the Lord your God's name in vain, right? Yeah, so we usually think of this as saying, oh my. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're using God as a swear word, Mm -hmm. right? Which is is obviously not a good thing. That's not something that's outside the scope of this, I think. Um, But what's literally there is that you shall not bear, that is to wear... You shall not carry the name of Yahweh your God in a way that's not worthy of it. 
that's uh, falsely that you falsely carry it. Um, and so it would be like if I were to put on um, an Alabama football, uh, put on pads with Alabama jersey and stuff, and walk out on the field like I was <laughs> an actual Alabama football player, and get absolutely destroyed. I would bear the name falsely. I wouldn't represent Alabama very well. I I would suck at football. Um, and I just, I would not be a good bearer of the name. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And, and like, it just, the, the, they wouldn't go together. Yeah. Um, so to, to carry the name, um, it, it's just, a. I think the way that it has been looked at before, translators are like, well, how does one carry a name? You know, how do you carry somebody's name? And, uh, and Carmen Joy Imes has gone into this pretty, pretty deeply, uh, in, her in her book bearing God's name um and really it's so if you if you look forward in the book um there's going to be the priesthood uh and there's going to be a guy that's the high priest and he wears what's is called an ephod uh, that he he wears on his chest and on his chest there's these 12 jewels on his this little breastplate that he has and those 12 jewels on those 12 jewels is inscribed the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel um, and he bears their name on his chest. He wears their name. He's their representative. So that whenever he goes into the Holy of Holies, he represents the children of Israel uh, to Yahweh at, at his throne. Um, just the same, on his forehead, he would wear another name. And it would say, holy belonging to Yahweh. It would say, uh, Yahweh would be inscribed on his forehead. Um, and so what that meant uh, is that he was God's representative to the people. So we went both ways. We talked about this with the priesthood. He he went both ways. He would both represent the people to Yahweh and Yahweh to the people. And he would bear the name of Yahweh. And it wasn't just a reflection of him, but it was also a reflection of Israel as to who they were supposed to be. They were supposed to bear the name of Yahweh. They were his carriers. They were the ones that were you know, that were with him and supposed to be his representative to the nations. And so this is a very important statement to say, don't bear my name falsely is to say, don't represent me poorly. You know, don't, don't go out into the world and do something, you know, that is not in line with my character, you know, and don't go worshiping other gods. That would be a good place to start is to not, you know, not to yeah. na- bear my name falsely. Um, but also, you know, the way that you interact um, with with other people will be really important too. How we interact with 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 others. Um, so there's a there's in this command. There's I think more of it, it, it more of it is built on like how we represent God more so than like oh just how I use His name in my words. Yeah, and um, and that is part of it, but it's not all encompassing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, that was a very interesting discussion that we had the other day about this. It's just like, because I had a hard time wrapping my mind around everything that Garrett has just now presented um, because I've never heard, I've always, 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 always been like, do not say the Lord's name in vain. And so it's always been only about words. But if you think about it, it does make more sense for it to be like, yeah, your words are important, but so are your actions and how you're treating other people and 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 how you are displaying God to those around you as mm-hmm. an image bearer of God. 
Um, so I think that that was very helpful and it's something to think about. Also, sorry about our dog snoring, if you can hear it on the podcast. <laughs> it's really annoying. Um, so, so, yeah, that's a, that's really just the first two commands. Yeah, but uh, these other ones, they go a little quicker. Yeah. Um, so, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Um, this should not come as a surprise to the Israelites. We've mentioned this multiple times. It already kind of felt like it was a command, in a sense, like... This is one that if I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're already doing that. Like, who cares? You know, um, they have been, you know, provided food, double the food on the sixth day and not provided food on the seventh day to make sure that they are resting on the seventh day. This is not a new concept for them is really my point. And so I don't think that they would necessarily be surprised about this. Um, And I think I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but like, this is a gift. This whole, like, ha- like one well, of the Ten Commandments. Well, so what did I say? To... Uh, the, this is the first time that it's t- that they're told that they have to. Yeah. Or something. Uh, what did I say? Whenever we were talking about it, I said, oh, they've already had to uh, observe the Sabbath, Sabbath before. And you corrected me. Yeah. I said and they... you said, no, this is, they get to. Yeah. And I was like, that gummit. Yeah. They do. They get to. You yeah. know, like, stop saying that, Garrett. Like, stop saying that this is this is some like burdensome command. Yeah. It that's not what it is. This is freeing. Yeah. This They're, is supposed to be freeing. And this is even for what I like about in the in this one in particular, I don't know that we've necessarily read it this thoroughly in other um chapters or that that it's been described this thoroughly as like even your manservants and maidservants and your animals and the animal or in the and the animals within you the aliens within your gates it's for every i mean like these people who were once slaves are being told to rest mm-hmm. and and to even let their servants rest and so this is something that's like it really is a gift to all of them yeah. to to be able to to do this and it would be hard to I mean, for slaves that had just been liberated, you know, it would be hard not to be thinking about that. It, mm-hmm. It's a reflection of God's God's uh, work of creation uh, and how he rested. But it's also like it has to be you have to be thinking about like, oh, yeah, he freed us from our slavery and gave us rest. Just the same, like for those that work for us, that are you know, are the, the slaves that they have, you know, that it's protecting their rights to rest, mm-hmm. you know, and <clears throat> and all of these. I I really think a lot of people break it up in like verses or like commands one through four and then uh, five through ten. I I really think it's broken up into one and two, and then the rest three through ten, uh, which one and two is about keeping God where He you know like making making sure we're upholding Him, and then the rest of it is about this protection of other people's rights. Um, it's this. Making sure other people have, you know, we think about like our own rights. Like the Bill of Rights is about our rights. You know, like mm-hmm. oh, I got to protect my rights. Um, but for this, this is about a protection of other people's rights. Mm-hmm. Um, to making sure that we're looking out for them, and that's what the Sabbath is. Like it's, it's a remembering who God is, what He's done, and that He is really the King of the universe, and in resting in His, um, in His provision. And you know that he's you know he's he's got it all, um, 
And then also it's about this protection of other people to say like, no, you get rest too. It's almost yeah. like it's like love God, and love your neighbor. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Something like love God, love your neighbor, yeah. And I think that's yeah. whenever it gets broken up to one through four, and then like five through ten, I think it's kind of broken up that same way yeah, too. Yeah. But yeah, but I see. Still, I see this. Way. I see this much more communal, like looking out for for those. It's it's looking out for your neighbors and making sure they get rest as well. Um, yeah. yeah, that they get rest as well. All right. So, any other thoughts on that? No, no, I'm good. All right, so honor your father and your mother. I, I like how earlier I, when I read it, I about said mother first. <laughs> oh. Like you better make sure you <laughs> honor your mother. Um, so what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I I think uh, we usually read this like all of a sudden it changed um, audience to children, and this is just not to children. This is to adults. This yeah. is to. I do think that's funny because I really do do that in my head. Right, you do do it. I do do it. Oh, <laughs> Uh, but we we change our audience to be like it's to children. This isn't to children. This is to grown adults who uh, likely have a you know parents that they're taking care of. And so this is more about uh, remembering what they've done for you, what your parents have done for you, and honoring them. And also, I think as they go into the land, it's going to be about like following their teaching and remembering who Yahweh is. It's going to be their responsibility to hand down the teachings of Yahweh from one to the next. And so. This is something that um, that I think is going to be very important for them continuing uh, the tradition of Yahweh and remembering Him. Um, yeah, and honestly, this the more we've talked about it and how it is, you know, the audience is adults. It's not just like all of a sudden we've gone around to the, you know, 10 and under group for this one commandment. Um, but it makes me think of my mom and dad and how they are taking care of my grandmother. My grandmother mm-hmm. lives with my parents. And so there's, you know, she's on oxygen and she's just, she's had times where she's had to be in a wheelchair and um, she uses a walker. And um, honestly, she's so fortunate to have my parents and to be able to, like, they recently built a new house and they were able to build it in such a way to make sure that no matter what her needs were, that the house would be able to, like, she would be able to comfortably live there. Like, Mm -hmm. when it comes down to, you know, having rails and shower, like, the shower set up in a way that would be easy for someone with limited mobility to doorways being wide enough for wheelchairs. Um, Just things like that. And how that, to me, is the perfect example of honoring your father and mother and the example that that sets, we talked about this as being like a generational um, scripture, mm-hmm. perhaps, of of something that, um, you know, so you may live long in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you of, you know, doing things in such a way from generation to generation that you are still following the Lord's commands and loving him and loving other people. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times this just gets taken out of context to be like, oh, well, if you're just a good kid that listens to your parents, you're going to live a long time. And, you know, we, we there's just too many examples of, of really good kids that have died young. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that's just, you know, that's just a slap in the face to any parent, you know, and I just, that's just not what this is meant to do. It's not a it's not an individual thing. This is a communal thing. Mm-hmm. This is looking out words as opposed to inwards and saying, oh, I need to. You know, like, oh, you know, this is about me. This is about you protecting the other others 
Um, but it's not, that's not, that's just not what it is. It's not a promise that, well, oh, if I just treat my parents right, then I'm going to live a long time. That's not what it is. It's about a, whenever you get into the land that you're going to be able to be in the land for a long time. If you continue to honor your parents, that is remember the commands and all this stuff that they're going to hand down to you. Um, and you know, as when you're doing that, you're going to, um, you know, continue to live in the promised land for, for a really long time, should you do that. Okay, so the next one is, you shall not murder. Seems pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward, <laughs> as straightforward as they get, right? Which actually, um, so King James Version, I think, says like, you shall not kill. Mm. So that's create that creates a big, like, huge issue of like okay well killing is pretty general yeah uh so something to remember here especially with you translated do not kill is uh moses killed somebody yeah he did <laughs> and i mean but um, i would even say you know that maybe he murdered somebody i, I yeah. mean like it's it's ambiguous yeah. so i mean and that so that kind of enters into the question of like okay so what is this supposed to do um if this is supposed to be legislative we you got to have more than just murder. You got to start defining murder. Right? You've got to say, okay, if if I'm going to go to this and say, all right, um well, the command say don't murder uh and you your oxen killed that man, you know, illegitimately. You know, it's not like he was attacking the oxen. The oxen the oxen just gored him cuz he's a he's an evil oxen. Um, or evil ox. Oxen is plural, right? Sure. If your ox, yeah, okay, so if your ox gores a man, is it murder? You know, and so, like, then that's where you start getting into the question of, like, okay, when does it become murder? How do you define murder? And, and so, it, it leads, it just, it creates it, like, yes, everybody generally will say, okay, don't murder. That's a good command. Yeah, everybody agrees. It's saying, okay, how do we define murder? Um, and where does that come from? And and so whenever we start doing that, then we re- kind of start to realize like this isn't this these aren't this wasn't meant to be legislative law the way that we use law. Well, and honestly, up to this point, none of it is like something that you would legislate. Right. You know, like remembering the Sabbath, you know, like. Not like bearing the name of God correctly. What 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 is that even? <laughs> right. You know. I mean, there's I mean, no like specifics on what that even looks like ne- necessarily. Right. Well, and I would argue, you know, like violating any one of these things is saying, okay, I, if I murdered somebody, then I'm probably not bearing the name of Yahweh. Right. Right. Correctly. Right. Uh, I'm bearing it falsely if I commit murder. But right. then, yeah, again, then what is murder? How do I define murder? Do is that self defense? Do it okay. So no, it's not self defense because that's justified. Okay, you know you get it. Like yeah. it, there's just um, this has been something that people have been working out for a long time, um, and so then the question is is like what is it trying to do? And um, John Walton in his book, um, uh, The Lost World of the Torah, um, he he's pretty adamant about like hey you know God is he's he's establishing this covenant with them to create order and then out of order, it'll show his wisdom. Um, and so they're, I mean, they're supposed to work this out. They're supposed to say like, okay, they're by doing this, they're going to be forced to work out the idea of like, okay, then what is murder? And you're going to see that even 
in the commands as they come from as they come to God through Moses. Later, the whole ox issue will get worked out. But it's just it's an example. You can't cover all of the things that are gonna constitute murder. It's gonna be left to a judge to say, okay, I'm gonna have a I've got a situation where this that kind of thing happened. You know, like this man says this thing, this man says another thing, and that judge has to work out what whether or not it's murder. You know, and it's all it's ba- it's wisdom based, not um. What do, what do we call it? It's uh, statutory law-based. It's not mm-hmm. statutory law-based. If For us, if it's not written in our code, like in our time, if it's not written in our code, then it's called a loophole, right? <laughs> like, yeah. well, oh, like it yeah. doesn't say it in the code, you know, or, or if something says something specific that lets you out of something, like you can, and maybe there's times that you're, you know wisdom-wise that this is wrong. Yeah. But if our co- if our statutory code says something different or allows for an out, then we call it a loophole. Whereas in this, a judge is given the ability to say, well, I mean, I've got examples like to, for him to generate wisdom, but it comes before him and he's like, no, what are you talking about loophole? This stops here with me. Right. You know, like what you, I use wisdom. I use the wisdom as it's given to me from God. To work out what should happen in this particular situation. Again, I have to go back to, <laughs> I have to go back to um, Solomon and say, how did he work out his problems? You know, it's mm-hmm. like he uses, you know, whenever he's doing well, he works it out using wisdom from God, and you know that situation with the two women and the baby, you know, that doesn't get worked out from statutory law; it's worked out from wisdom. And uh, and so I, I think, you know, we got to get out of the out of the mode of seeing this as statutory law and instead seeing this as a, this is wisdom and he's saying, shout out murder. And then the question is like, okay, well, what is murder? And it's like, exactly guys, you guys need to work that out and figure out how you're going to deal with these types of situations and, and order yourselves in such a way that you reflect the God that delivered you from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, I think that's gotta be, you know, like, and, and even as, as we continue, we we deal with murder. And, uh, well, and I, I have to say, like, this is the type of thing that Jesus would come along and say, you've you've heard shall not murder. I tell you, don't hate your brother in your heart for you've committed, you could have committed murder in your heart by hating your brother. Mm-hmm. There again, it's wisdom. It's like, this is what God was always wanting out of this, that he, you start figuring this type of stuff out and start learning his wisdom, uh, that there was something, there's, this wisdom that's underlying the command that he's wanting you to get at, um, that we're supposed to be seeking. Um, same thing for committing adultery. He does the same thing with committing adultery. Um, in that, Hey, if you lust after this woman, then, you know, you've already committed that in your heart, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, again, he's working out the wisdom of the command, Mm -hmm. um, and getting down to the root of it, I guess. Um, but, and what's, what's funny I guess to me is that um the whole deal with adultery there was all it always seemed like in the scriptures it always seems like there's like in the stories I suppose of what happens is that men always think that there's a loophole and that it's like well if I you know as long as she's not married to somebody else then I can sleep with her and then just marry her afterwards which is like what a lot of, you know you just see that happen it's not condi- or it's not uh, condoning it, um, 
that that's a good thing for it to happen, but that's just the way that they treated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's funny to me is that Jesus kind of takes that and he's like, you've been taking advantage of that for a long time. Yeah. And I'm telling you that's, that's adultery is what you're doing with that. that that's adultery. And so he, he kind of undermines the way that the law had kind of been misused uh, over like, I mean, the whole, from all of the prophets, which would include Joshua all the way on, of like, that happened all the time, you know? Um, the, these men taking advantage of it, um, trying to find what they consider loopholes, I suppose. Yeah. So, anyways, so, don't commit adultery. Um, <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah. you shall not steal. Uh, that that's pretty, another good one. Pretty, pretty good. Again, straightforward. But note, this is about protection of other people's assets, their life, protection of someone else's life, protection of somebody else's wife, somebody else's you know spouse, um, protection of another person's possessions. Yeah. Right. This isn't about a protection of my own things. So- it kind of is. But it's more so about, like, how do we treat other people's things? How do we treat other people's stuff? Yeah, something that I have just been thinking about as we've been talking about this is I have heard of I have heard of a lot of people getting hung up on this idea of God kind of being all about himself, of, like, worship me, worship me, make everything about me kind of thing. Um, and... Like, even just having a problem with the idea of, like, heaven as a time where all we are doing is singing to God kind of thought processes. Mm -hmm. And something that I think is interesting as we've been reading through this and talking about it is really there's only, like, the first few verses are about God, about how you treat God. And... There's so much more about us just like taking care of each other. Yeah. I would like argue the there's eight commands of the 10 words. Yeah. That are spoken about how you treat your brother. So it's it has it like has nothing in a sense it kind of has nothing to do with God and him wanting to get some sort of like respect or like boasting, you know, building him up more. It's like treat each other well because I love you all. Yeah. Well, and, and so, but it is generated out of the first two in that yeah. it's like, remember what I've done for you, therefore, think about your brothers. Yeah. You know, like, think about them and how you how you respond to them because you've been given so much. Um, so you can't have one without the other. It's like, if you just say morality, you're like, oh, we just want good morality. Um, that's devoid of redemption. Yeah. And... And I think that, you know, it's just that that creates boasting. You know, that cre- that does create boasting to say, I have better morality than you. Um, but whenever it's just like a, no, I've been redeemed. And so I'm going to I'm going to behave in a different way out of response to that redemption. There's mm-hmm. no boasting in that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what they're supposed to be like. It's a response of looking out for other people because God looked out for you. And like realizing they're they're image bearers, they are the image bearers in this story, and so um you know you're not worshiping you're not worshiping them, but you're you're recognizing that they are the rep- you know they are God's representation on in this world, and we should treat it with that due respect and yeah. so yeah, Anyways. I mean that's just kind of a thought yeah. I'd had because I you know 
yeah, these are so much about how we treat each other that mm-hmm. it's just kind of crazy to kind of, you know. I mean, I guess as a parent, it's like I want my kids to get along and love each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I kind of can see that here. Yeah. Uh, this is Carmen Joy. I, I'm, she kind of goes through each of the commands and she just says, each neighbor has a right uh, to a marriage free of competition. Uh, for the covenant community to flourish, relationships between neighbors must be built on mutual trust. Every man's job is to protect his neighbor's his neighbor's marriage and his neighbor's wife rather than preying on her. Sexual Im- intimacy is reserved for marriage because marriage is a reflection of the covenant with Yahweh. In both, um, to enter into an exclusive commitment, I am yours and you are mine. For marriage to work as God designed, both parties must give themselves wholly to each other and to no one else. And then talking about stealing, she says, Every Israelite has a right to personal property free from the greed of the neighbor. As with marriage, the protection of a neighbor's property is everyone's business. Neighborhood watch is a very old idea and it's biblical. By By taking what's yours... I demonstrate a lack of gratitude and a lack of trust in God to provide for my needs. Good so, stuff. Yeah, you know, to take to take somebody else's stuff is saying I don't trust in Yahweh. Um, and you know that we're instead supposed to be elevating those person that other person's wants and needs and relationships and stuff like that above our own. This is a I mean this is what we think is just a New Testament cons- you know idea, mm-hmm. but this is very Old Testament. it was originated here you know i think so all right you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor this is where we get the thou shalt not not lie lie. (laughs) right um which i mean it just and again like we talked about i think i think it's all the way back in chapter one like we talked about there telling somebody telling our children hey caleb don't lie that's going to be the way that i handle it right now yeah um but again, we deal like I, I can't tell you how many times I remember one kid asking me in middle school being like, I mean, and this is a common question, I think, of like, is, oh, is it OK to to lie about going, you know, like having a surprise birthday party? You know, like, does God hate surprise birthday parties? You know, and I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not what he's getting at here. That's not what's going on here. And, I, you know, and a lot of times I'd ask, like, where do you get, you know, that you shouldn't that, that lying is bad? You know, and and um, and a lot of times you would go to the the ten what we call the Ten Commandments, and it's like that's not what it says here. Um, it says, "Y'all sh- thou shalt not uh, testify against your neighbor with a false witness." Um, and so it has a totally different context than a surprise birthday party. Again, lying in general, not a good idea. You know, as far as like, it depends on how what, oh, what the I mean, situation just, and context just is. Just tonight, we were telling. I was telling Caleb. You know, it's important to tell the truth, and yeah. he had told me, "Yep, I did push Sadie down. Like, <laughs> I told the truth, and mm-hmm. I was super proud, but also like, don't push her down again." Um, but it's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the only way to go with that right, right now at age four. Um, right. But right. anyway, I think that something that you mentioned the other day that was really neat is this you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor comes right after the you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal and how yeah during this time there's no like 
blood sampling, lie detector tests, like Yeah, you don't have fingerprints on Yeah, the, there's no way you know. to like research some of this stuff to figure like, oh, yep, we have evidence here that says you stole this or that you murdered so and so. Right. And so like the importance of these people telling, yes, this is what actually happened, um, is like critical to the running of their society, you yeah. know, and like making sure that the correct things are the correct punishments or whatever yeah. happen. Yeah, to go before a judge and speak falsely to something that happened is going to undermine the whole society. Uh, everything is, is stipulated off of that, of being able to get good information from people whenever they tell you something happened. Yeah, um, which is why we have, like, perjury is, like, yeah, such a big that, thing. That's where we get that, of, yeah. Of just, like, you know, you need to tell the truth when you're on the stand. This is usually important because we're using your words to decide how to punish or not punish Yeah, someone. and it, it's a, um, I mean, somebody else's life is at stake yeah. with it. Um, and protecting their rights, you know, of, like, I, I deserve for you to tell the truth whenever you're telling them what happened here. Um, and also, and keep in mind, whenever we do get later into this, and it may not be here, it may be in Deuteronomy, but um, there's the the law would say, hey, you know, like in order, in order for somebody to be convicted of such a thing, like a murder, there has to be two or three witnesses that come, mm-hmm. uh, not just one, which is where later we'll get the wisdom of saying, hey, if somebody is doing something they shouldn't be and they're not listening, take two or three, you know, with you. As witnesses, you know, like they're they're these witnesses that are going forth and saying, hey, you're not behaving the way that you need to. You need to change this and, you know, whatever. Um, But the idea here is that if people start lying and giving false testimony at, you know, against somebody else, it's going to it's going to totally destroy the society. Um, And so it's, again, about keeping, um, you know, keeping order you know, and being able to show and demonstrate God's wisdom to the, to the nations. Um, so yeah, it's not a, it's not thou shalt not lie. It's a, it's very courtroom based, It you know, the way that we would see it. It's very, I'm before the judge who's trying to discern whether or not somebody committed murder. Don't give false witness. That's not fair to your brother. Come on. Yeah. Like, don't be a jerk. Um, so anyways, all right, so you shall not covet your neighbor's house or their wife or their manservant or maidservant or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This I found so interesting that we're finally, I had never put this together in my mind of that we're getting like to your heart here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that covet is really like another word for desiring. Um and when I think, you know, when we were talking about how Jesus says, you know, if you if you lust after a woman, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And hating your brother is, you know, the same as murder. That that's kind of what we're getting at in this last command mm-hmm. of uh, you're really getting to the heart of things of like wanting to take stuff from other people. Yeah. Um. And so that that was kind of an interesting. And and again, it's like, in a way, why do we have this in our courtrooms when you're thinking of like black and white topics? When it's like, you don't know if somebody's doing this or it, not. The uh, the what we account as the ninth and tenth command of these two covetings, 
uh, this is totally unlegislatable. <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't legislate this at all. Yeah. Uh, and so the question is, is well, you know, okay, so if it if this is a legislative document, why is this here? Well, that's just not what it is. Um, and so it's something else again, discerning God's wisdom, and um, and I think so. Just to point out this cov this covet, um, it's it's only occurred twice twice before in Scripture up to this point. Uh, and that is in Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three, uh, in that so God created everything. He created all these fruit trees, you know, for, for, uh, for Adam, and they were desirable. That all the fruit trees that were desirable, He says, hey, all of these are yours except for this one, uh, and that desirable is the same word. Like so, all these fruit trees are good for eating. They're desirable. They're all Adams except for the one, uh, which is the tree of knowing good and evil. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the woman being tempted by the serpent, um, she she looks at the fruit of the tree of knowing good and evil, and and it says that she um, saw that it was desirable and good for eating, that it was covetable. It's the same word. It was desirable, good for eating, and good for making one wise. And so she covets, she covets this thing. She wants it. Uh, because it looks like it looks good for her, uh, and she takes and eats it. So the question is: is like is is coveting is this idea of coveting just by itself something wrong? And I think the answer is no. Coveting is not wrong. Uh, whenever it's the fruit trees that God has given you, <laughs> like Genesis chapter two, mm-hmm. those fruit trees are fine for them to eat from. They're desirable. They're but they're theirs. They're being yeah. given to them. But there's another one that they desire, um, that they weren't supposed to eat from. Coveting of that which is not yours is the problem. Um, and so, especially when you've been given so much. When you've been given every fruit that anybody could ever want, but the one. But the one. And that's all they can think about is the one. And they covet that thing. And then they take they take for themselves, they steal it. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they steal from that which is not theirs. And so um, it's just kind of like the, this idea of this coveting. It's this desire. And there's nothing necessarily in, inherently wrong with desire. Um, you know, it's it's this desire for something that's not yours. Um, this wanting for something that doesn't belong to you. Um, John Golden Gay writes this. You can look this up on his. He's got his own little website where he's got all his writings and stuff on it. And he said, so what's wrong with wanting? There's nothing wrong with wanting in itself. Uh, the first time that it comes up is in, in uh, the Garden of Eden with all the lovely fruit, right? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, all that's good for them. Uh, but the commandment um, refers to wanting something that, does, that belongs to someone else, someone else's house or their spouse or their servants or their animals. There's nothing wa- wrong with wanting an apricot off the tree in your garden. But wanting something that belongs to someone else is the first step in trying to defraud them of it. Um, and, and then he goes on and he talks about, um, you know, what, what lies behind stealing and perjury and adultery and never having a day off coveting, coveting lies behind all of those things. And in different ways, it can lie behind serving other gods and murder and so on too. The gospel for today reflects that in Jesus's parable about the tenants committing murder in order to steal someone's inheritance. Uh, coveting skews and screws 
of your attitude to everything and to everyone. Instead of wanting to live in generous love and relation with them, we want to get a hold of their stuff. And it skews and screws up the attitude to God. The second time this word comes up is whenever Adam or whenever Eve uh, looks at the one tree that they weren't supposed to be given, right? And Eve let her desire overrule the word from God. Um, so, I, I mean, it's just like this desire, specifically this desire of something, something else, you know, that doesn't belong to you. Um, and and he, he'll go on to say that, you know, the idea here is that um, what we should covet is God's words. Um, in Psalm 19.10, it says, um, you know, God's commands are, quote, more to be desired than gold, more than fine gold. Um, and that is what we, that's, that's what we should be coveting. Like, to covet God's word is a totally good thing, you know? Like, so coveting in and of itself, not bad but wanting of somebody else's. And I, and I guess I would argue that, and he kind of made the argument. I think the, this last part um, is what creates in us the heart to do the things that just led, that just came before it. Murder, um, stealing, adultery, you know, coveting that which is not yours. So I don't know. I, th- I kind of think that I almost think that the last two are the most important of the second, you know, eight, <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I, I think coveting is a big deal, especially, you know, through the scriptures. So, um, we will, uh, we'll finish this, the section here, chapter 20. And it says, and all the people were seeing the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountain smoking. And the people saw and they trembled and they stood at a distance and they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will listen, but but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that his fear will be before you, so that you, you do not sin. And the people stood at a distance, and Moses approached the very thick cloud where God was. And Yahweh said to Moses, thus you will say to the Israelites, you yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from the heavens, you will not make alongside alongside me gods of silver and gods of gold. You will not make for yourselves an altar of earth you will make for me. And you will sacrifice uh, on it your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep and your cattle. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make an altar of stones for me, you will not build them as hewn stone because if you use your chisel on it you have defiled it you will not go up with this go up the steps or with steps onto my altar that your nakedness not be exposed on it so when we first take took a look at this i was like wait where are we in time because yeah. this is the with the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet it was all taking me back to like chapter 19 and verse 16 I think it was and so we we did kind of read that it's like kind of the timeline here is kind of like uncertain as as far as you know was this actually like before the 10 commandments I guess Mm -hmm. like when exactly was this but 
I found it um, just striking that it's like these people are just like so afraid to have God speak directly to them. Like it, that just shows the kind of environment that they're that the the presence of God created um, this just intensity where they are just like terrified and don't even are are like don't I guess recognize maybe their unworthiness to hear his voice I I think that's what happens to everybody who comes in contact with God I mean that's what um I mean you read from Isaiah chapter 6 and from Revelation chapter 1 it's just every time somebody comes in contact with God they're they are acutely aware of how holy he is Rel, you know, and and how they are not, <laughs> you know, like everybody becomes just so aware of that, and uh, and that's not like a God punishing them for it. Again, it's just His holiness is just so so powerful. I mean, it, it's like coming in contact with the sun. The sun is not bad for its energy, um, but we can't stand to be in its light. You know, like we can't stand to be in. <laughs> right before the sun and that's kind of where they are you know if you think about it it's almost like they're you know they're before you know this bright shining star you know and they're completely exposed to it and um it's not that it's bad it's because it's so stinking good yeah and they're not (laughs) so and neither are we you know like that's kind of the thing yeah i think too it's like this is creating an unforgettable moment for them um and I think that's what it's getting at of like to keep you from sinning the sphere of God will be with you to keep you from sinning I I kind of feel like (laughs) sometimes you need that big jolt of like something that you are going to remember Mm -hmm. I feel like we do that with even our kids I feel like there's been times um like I feel like there's a time where your dad I think just like didn't say anything to you the whole way home from mm-hmm. somewhere when you were in trouble. Yeah. And it's like some altering moment like that that's just super memorable that's like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Yeah, right. You know? And that's kind of what this is supposed to be for the people. Yeah. I mean, again, Holy Fire Mountain God is there before them and they're just utterly struck by it. The whole, I mean, everything is trembling. They tremble. You know, they stood at a distance. I mean, it, it's supposed to be something that sticks with them for a long time so that they supposedly followed the commands, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and, and listen to his voice. Um, I think there's this part that... Did you have anything else on that first part with the do not be afraid? Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of times we we think, again, this is that testing thing that comes mm-hmm. up. It, oh, yeah. It's an opportunity to lean into God and, and to trust in Him. And uh, Peter Enns writes this. Um, let me see here. Uh, the, this can be, you know, paraphrased as, Do not be afraid. God is giving you a taste of Himself so that this memory will stick with you to keep you from sinning. The people's fear is to be tempered by the fact that God is giving them this experience for a reason. A debilitating fear will give way to a healthy fear, one that will result in faithfulness on their part. Again, this is not morality for its own sake, but for the sake of God's accomplishing his higher purpose. 
the Israelites are to fear God and obey him so that the nations will one day do likewise. Um, and it, it's that, it's the office phrase. I know, I was like, are we going to go <laughs> yeah. there? Yes, we are. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, do I want <laughs> them to fear me or love me? And he says both. I want, I want them, them to fear, fear how much, much they, they love, love me. me. <laughs> and uh, and so, it, you know, it's this balance of this fear. And it's like God doesn't want you to fear him. At the same time, there's this good, really healthy fear of God that we're supposed to have. And it's not a one or the other thing. It's like somehow they're living together, this this fear and also this love. And, you know, and, and maybe that maybe that drives, maybe the, like quotes from, from John's letters, of saying, you know, perfect love drives out fear. Um, but there again, John the visionary is terrified whenever he comes into contact with the risen Jesus. And so it's like, what do I do with that? You know, like, I thought, John, that, you you know, if they're the same John, uh, you know, I, either way, both of them are scripture. Both of them are, you know, revealing God's truth to us and like how to, how to discern who God is. Um, one of them says, one of those letters says, perfect love drives out fear. And then you go a few pages later and it's like, and I saw him and I fell down like I was dead, you know, like yeah. <laughs> and I was terrified. So does Jesus not have perfect love? No, he, of course he does. It's just a horrifying experience coming into contact with Holy Fire Mountain God. And so it's just a, you know, these, it's just not a one or the other thing. They're both living together somehow and we're supposed to kind of work out what that means you know having that uh, reverence for god as well as that loving father aspect of it um it's it's just hard it is i do think though that there's you can kind of see that in certain parent relationships of like you do have this like fear of them in some ways of like oh my goodness what is my mom or dad gonna do when they find out about this Mm -hmm. but then also knowing that they would die for you like would do anything for you so you know I do think those things can coexist but it's hard to wrap our minds around especially when we read it in like you know back-to-back sentences of don't be afraid but the fear of God will be with you (laughs) and but I, I think I think to me 19 is a big disappointment to the whole thing um, and the, it's like God wants to speak before them, but they're so scared um, that they're like, no, we can't do this. And they actually say, you know, Moses, you speak to us and you can talk to God, you know, but don't, you know, like don't have him talk to us because he, we're going to die. You know, it's the, again, that same experience that they, that all these other guys have. And it, you know, and it, it, it long, like, I think that statement even longs for something more. Like it makes you realize like, no, like there is this desire, there is this need for God to want to actually speak to directly to his people. Um, and that's something that he's working out in the story. And it, it's just kind of a letdown that Israel is like, no, 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 like this is too much. Um, but at the same time, it's really good that Moses is interceding for them. And um, But you kind of, you can kind of see that thing out there in the distance of like one day God's going to speak directly to his people. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're just not ready for it yet. Yeah. And, um, and something's got to happen to make that happen, mm-hmm. you know, to make it, to make that shift. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I think that, I, I think that that's in the person of Jesus. You know, I, I think that that's where that shift is made. Yeah. That we can actually stand before the throne of God, you know, and 
sure, it's terrifying, but somehow we're there, you know? And yeah. Paul would say, we're there right now. Like, we are before the throne of God uh, in Ephesians, that we've been seated at the right hand of the Father with the Messiah. So, you know, there's just things to consider. So this last section about idols and altars, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's interesting. It starts out with... Um, uh, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. So, like, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this. So he's respecting their wishes of, like, don't talk to us directly. Which he will talk always do. Yep. Moses. Um, but, you know, this goes back to, I think it was in chapter 19 of just, like, or it might have even been early, a little earlier, of just, you know, God wanted to have this opportunity for the people to see that, yeah, it's not just Moses coming back to you and just giving you these words. I am the one behind all this. Um, And you can see now that I am the one giving these commands. It's not just Moses spitting out all this stuff. Right. It's not, nothing is getting lost in translation here. Right. Um, And so I think that that's like kind of a wrapping wrapping up point for that. Um, And then we have kind of a repeat of our first commandment of yeah i think it's gonna like, be important that it got repeated yeah um don't don't like, make alongside yourselves gods of silver and gods of gold you will not make for yourselves right guys it's almost like he knows what's gonna happen yeah it's like it's this like wink wink you know like yeah. it, there's something coming but it's like it's what's repeated is like don't make don't make other gods don't worship them Mm-hmm. Um, remember that. That's the first thing. You know, don't do that. Okay. And then as far as the, the rest of this goes with making an altar, this is where I'm starting to get like, I don't really know what all this means. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, it's ultimately, it's it's repeating a lot of the same thing. All of this is, is sort of the same in that it's like, don't make altars that are made by man. They are like yeah. a, a hewn stone, um, That's that which is chiseled on. So it's that mm-hmm. like worshiping something that's been altered by by humans, um, almost to worship human creation, you know, mm, yeah. um, and uh, and so they were supposed to just use natural stuff. So it's like this is what God has created, yeah. you know, to make to make these um, stones. And, and again, there's going to be you know looking even further. It's like there, God's going to d- dwell in a temple not be made by human hands. Um, that that's going to be his ultimate dwelling place. Where where we're going to see this go is that there's going to be a tabernacle made with human hands through the direction of the Holy Spirit. Um, but ultimately, the forward-looking thing is that God's going to dwell in a place not made by human hands. He's going to dwell in humans themselves. You know, he's going to dwell in his people. Um, that's kind of a thing that's looking really far into the future. But... Uh, and and I think it, it's fascinating. This uh, an altar of Adama, an altar of of it's where the name Adam comes from, which is from the dirt. Uh, Adama is the earth or the soil. Adam is from the Adama. Um, but don't make an altar of Adama, uh, you know, or whatever you do make it, uh, you know, and sacrifice all these things on it. An altar of Adama you will make for me. And you will sacrifice. So make it out of earth. Make it out of Adama. Um, so, yeah, it's just an interesting turn of phrase there. Um, but that's what they're supposed to make their going up offerings on and their fellowship offerings. Um, that which is, there's 
they're these interaction offerings, these things that are relationship-based between them and God, um, going before him and also this fellowship, this eating, eating with him. So I think that they're, you know, they're looking, looking forward to what they're going to build eventually uh, in this book, which is the tabernacle itself, um, and talking about that. But I may, mainly I think it's looking at the, that whole idol thing. Um, I feel like that's going to be a problem for them as we go forward. But yeah, so this is, I think this is by far our longest podcast. So yeah, thank you if you hang, if you like hung us. out with us uh, and went through that. Hopefully you have a different look on the, the 10 words. Um, I think this is something that's very misunderstood of how to use these and what they're for. They're not for hanging up verses. Uh, I, I don't think they're hang, for hanging up verses three through uh, 17 in, in courtrooms and stuff. They're all stipulated on covenant with Israel um, and what God has done, what he's doing, and how they're, how they're supposed to represent him to the world. This is for God's people. Um, and it needs to be you know, looked at maybe in a different way than, than what we've done, and we need to kind of shed that as we go forward. So thank you for hanging out with us. And Time for us to go watch The Bachelorette. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so... See you guys next week with chapter 21.